to fatherhood podcast i'm your host my name is kelly and i'm here to remind you however you're listening and wherever you're listening that as dads we're just like moms except we're dads you go ahead and start by please introducing yourself. My name is Rob Gorski and I am a dad. I'm a single dad. I have three kids, um, 14, 16, and 22. I got confused for a second because I was going to list them in a different order, but 14, 16, and 22. (laughs) Um, All of my kids happen to be autistic, uh, which adds, you know, some unique challenges to life. Uh, But, you know, we're, we're doing pretty good. You yourself are a fellow podcaster mm-hmm. and you run a podcast called the autism dad. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about some of the content that you explore in your podcast. How did sure. you get to that point of creating a podcast? Yeah. So that's a good question. Um, I started writing, um, I think it was like 2010, I think is when I started and it was just sort of a, it was supposed to be a, an outlet for me. Cause I was really struggling with some of the behaviors that my oldest was, was dealing with at the time. Yeah. And I, uh, I set up this WordPress site. I thought it was private. And so I was just <laughs> using it as like a journal, right? Where you just word vomit everything that you're thinking yeah. that nobody else should ever hear. And, uh, it wasn't private and people started reading it. Yeah. And like I was mortified at first because I thought like, Oh my God, like that's, I can't even believe that that's happening. <laughs> but, but the, the feedback that I was getting from parents was like, like I thought I was the only one mm. or, um, you know, I felt so isolated. I didn't think anybody else was feeling this way or dealing with these types of challenges. And, and it sort of became this, uh, therapeutic Avenue for me as well as, is for other people who, uh, have been feeling like they're alone or they're isolated, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that went on for a long time. Well, it's still going on actually. Uh, but I've, I've written like, I think it's like 13,500 something posts over the last, I don't know, 13 years or so. Wow. And I just sort of burned out, you know, like coming up with titles for things was, it just got to be like a chore and it wasn't helpful for me anymore. Yeah. Um, and I'm big into tech, so I'm always looking to like try new things in that area. Excuse to like get something cool to like, yeah, you know, to buy a new out. toy. We were, we were talking, yeah, we we're talking about like the Rodecaster <laughs> and whatever. And uh, and so I thought, you know, it might be easier just to like talk instead of trying to write everything down. And so I, I started, I started, uh, I started doing that, and and it started out really small, like, um. I think I was using, I was using like anchor at first and just like talking into my phone. I would just sit on my bed and talk into the phone <laughs> and 
it's really horrible. So nobody should ever go back and listen to the old stuff. Please but, go back and listen to the old yeah, stuff. Yeah, please go back and listen to the old stuff. Uh, uh, wow. I, <laughs> but, but, you know, like you learn, like I, I had no training in this, so I kind of had to teach myself as I went and I, and I just found it to be, um, a really interesting experience, especially when I stopped being like just me talking on a phone and, and, and like talking to other people, mm-hmm. you know, like bringing guests on and having conversations with people like we're having now. And, mm-hmm. you know, you get to experience other people's, uh, you get to kind of get a feel for what other people's experiences have been. And it's a great way to help other families out there connect with other people who get it in my case. Yeah. And, you know, it's been, it's been really cool. And, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of work. It's not as, when I went into it, I thought like, oh, this will be so much easier. Cause like, I'll just record something thinking like I was going to do it all in one take and everything would be perfect, whatever. And it doesn't work that way. <laughs> and it takes forever to get this stuff done. But I, I find myself like, I, I enjoy going through and editing everything and, and, uh, cleaning it up and, yeah you know, being able to, like when someone asks a question, I have a support forum for parents and people will ask questions sometimes about things. I'm like, Oh, Hey, I did an episode on that. And I had this person on and I can just, uh, you know, send the link to that and then they can hear the whole conversation. And it, and it's really helpful to people. And, and it's sort of, um, I have this like habitual need to help people. And this is, this is how I kind of get that fix, I guess. You know, I used to be a fire medic and I got hurt, so I can't do that anymore. But this, I can help people and, um, yeah, I kind of enjoy it. Yeah. Well, I do enjoy it. Yeah. More than kind of. Sweet, man. Thank you for that. Sure. Uh, so the reason why I reached out to you in the first place, like I said to you in the message, I am trying to bring different experiences, different perspectives, mm-hmm. um, different voices to the podcast and fatherhood is such a broad range of experiences. And so I can only speak to what is true of my experience. And like I mentioned in the message, I didn't want, I don't want my platform, my podcast to become an echo chamber of just, you know, what we call the average stuff, even though there's nothing yeah. average about parenting and fatherhood and all of that jazz. But you are, you are, your experience is different than mine. And so the conversation that we're about to have is to give space on, on my platform to be able to consider fatherhood from a different perspective, from a different experience. So I'm excited about the conversation that, that we're going to have. And uh, the first thing I want us to talk about is this concept of normal versus not normal. Right. I have a son and he is two years old. As far as we can tell, he is not autistic. Right. To me, that's normal. Right. You have children who are autistic. Mm -hmm. Is it fair to say that to you, that's normal or that's become normal? That's a really, that's a really interesting take. That's not where I thought you were going. That's a really interesting take. Uh, Yeah, it's my normal. I, I don't know. I don't know anything else, you right. know, uh, you sort of, and, and, and that could be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. It sort of depends on what, uh, what you're dealing with. But, you know, for me, normal, 
I think normal is relative, you know? And that's and, the point. Yes. And, and then, you know, there's like this whole, like people don't like using the word normal because like, what does normal really mean? I mean, who's normal? Yeah. I like, I feel like we're all weird in some way, <laughs> in right? Some way, and we just embrace form. it. Yeah. Uh, but, but like, that's a really interesting, that's a really interesting way to look at it. Yeah. It would be my normal. I mean, if we're, if we're defining things as normal, I think that would be my normal. That would be your normal. Right. Yeah. And so in that frame of thinking about things, yeah, I, we're, we're on the same wavelength. However, mm-hmm. someone, and I'm not, and I'm going to let you speak to that. Has, have you ever gotten this feedback from people who are like, oh, Rob, like to give you the sense that maybe your circumstance is not normal. So what yeah. the hell is normal? Right. That's a, that, that's a really good question. And I, I think sort of the cliche thing that someone, someone coined it a while ago is like normal's setting on a dryer, right? It's, <laughs> it's not um, related to like a person, mm. but you know, one of the way, one of the things that I've, I've recognized just since we're on that kind of topic of kind of recognizing what's normal, like the reality is my life is really stressful. Mm-hmm. Right. Like there's just challenges and just, you know, my kids drive me crazy, but kids <laughs> drive parents crazy. It's just the way that it is. That's it. And, and, and they're amazing, but they just, they drive me nuts. But I am so used to this life that I don't recognize the stress anymore. And so even though it has the same impact on my body and my mental health, I don't see it for what it is Mm. because it's just my normal. Mm -hmm. And I have to be, I have to sort of jar myself out of that to, to recognize that. Yeah. Like I'm, my anxiety is like through the roof right now. (laughs) Like I, you know, so, so that I can, I can take care of myself because you just get, you get so used to what you're doing that it becomes your normal. Yeah. You know, and Sometimes that's okay, but other times it can blind you to things that you need to work on or things that you need to address. So take me back to finding out for the first time that your oldest son mm-hmm. had autism. Yeah. Talk to me about, because here, here's what I want to get at, just to put it on the table. Here's what I want to get at. Parents, when we're becoming parents, we have expectations, whether those expectations are implicit or explicit. I actually think we have both. Right. Mm-hmm. I think a common expectation that parents have is that we want our children to be normal, whatever that means, because mm-hmm. we don't know how our children, how our child is going to come. Right. So we have these expectations built off of everything that sort of our life experiences have led us to think is quote unquote normal. Great. Yeah. And then the child comes and then something is abnormal and right. that sort of shatters one's expectations and just causes you mm-hmm. to rearrange everything. So yeah. take me back to your ex- first experience and, and walking that trajectory. So my oldest, um, is my ex-wife's son from her first marriage. Okay. And I've raised him since he was about a year old. So I don't have the benefit of, there's like a year and a year and a half of his life that I wasn't a part of. Okay. So I don't, I don't have that reference. When I met them, he seemed, I mean, like a normal kid, 
you know, I mean, it, and, and we, we, we use the word normal yeah. and I, and I, I feel like it's, I don't think it should be a bad word. I think normal is relative, right? So normal for me is different than normal for you. So, yeah. I mean, whatever, who cares? It's understanding so, what we mean by correct how we're it, using yeah. it in the context. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, I feel like, um, when I, I didn't pick up on anything for a while and then his behavior, because well, part of it was he was, you know, there was still a, a, a custody battle going on with his biological father and paternal grandparents. Okay. Um, and so there was a lot of abuse and stuff like that. And so when he did have problem behaviors, you know, he was in therapy and stuff like that, but it was all the kind of thing that you see that's sort of typical behaviors for a child who's in an abusive situation. And so we, we just sort of, we were, we were helping him with those, but we, we sort of connected those dots and didn't see it for anything else. 2005, he was officially diagnosed with, uh, they used to call it Asperger's, but it's autism now. And, and he would have been, he'd have been about five years old. And, and one of the triggers for us was, uh, we put him to bed and it feels like this and it doesn't make sense to people who haven't dealt with it, but we put him to bed, Gavin, and he woke up a different person. Hmm. Uh, there was, there was a massive regression that took place that shifted his personality, shifted everything. And it was literally like having to get to know a new person. Oh, wow. And you, you grieve the loss of a child who is still there Yeah, because wow. it's, it's so profoundly different that it, that you start entertaining ideas like, like aliens came down in the middle of the night and like swapped him out with a clone and didn't like transfer all of his personality into the body or something like that. Like crazy stuff. Right. But it, it starts to make sense. Like that's an explanation for what happened because like you don't, you can't process that. Like how can he be so different in such a short amount of time and then never recover? Mm. Um, and so that was really, that was really tough for a while. It was really tough. And, you know, you just sort of, you have to let go of the person who was and learn to, you got to get to know the person who is. And, you know, it's been 20 or 17 years now, something. So I only know the Gavin who is. And, uh, but, but at the time I wouldn't wish that on anyone, right? I I wouldn't Mm. wish that on any child to have to go through that. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't wish that on a, on a parent, The, the closest way to, to explain it is if you're, you're, you have a loved one with Alzheimer's and they, they have their on days and their off days, mm-hmm. you know, where some days they just, they don't know where they are. They don't know who they are. They don't remember you. What, mm-hmm. like, just completely different person. You see the same person, but mm-hmm. they, they're completely different on the inside. And that's what, that's what he was like after that, that switch flipped and nobody knows what caused it or how it happened. Uh, it, it was diagnosed as childhood disintegrated disorder, which is a really rare form of autism that I don't think they diagnose anymore, but that's a very unusual case, right? So he was born quote unquote normal or typical, or he developed just like every other kid would yeah. until about four or five and then everything changed. So in his case, it felt like autism stole him from us, right? So mm. you're grieving the loss of somebody. Mm-hmm. My other two have always been the way they are. So I don't know any different and they're impacted very, very differently. 
they do really, really well. You know, they struggle with sensory related things like texture and sound and light and, and, uh, a lot of food stuff they don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, but there really wasn't, there wasn't a grieving process for that because it was, it's just who they are. There, there wasn't a catalyst that like, it wasn't like a bait and switch is the wrong terminology, but, but you, you know what I mean? Like you, you're given one thing and then it's taken away. Yeah. Um, with them, they were just, they were just born the way they are and that's just who they are. And, and, you know, I mean, when I heard the diagnosis, I mean, I, re- I remember hearing, I remember hearing those words from every doctor that we were at you, your whole world just sort of crumbles because when they said autism for the second time, my thought was, Oh my God, that's what Gavin was diagnosed with. Like what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, is it going to be the exact same thing? Mm-hmm. And, and it's not. And then when, uh, my last one was diagnosed, I didn't even see it because he was so different than his other brother. So, so all three of my kids are in different places on the spectrum mm-hmm. and, and they all present in different ways, but they're all diagnosed with the same label, yeah, the same condition or whatever. And so it gets really confusing. It's hard to get, it's hard to understand as somebody who's involved with it all the time. It's even harder to get the layperson or everybody else to understand because you're calling a million different things, one word. And that's, that's tough to do, but, um, it does until you understand what it is, you feel like the world has ended because you don't know what to expect. And a lot of times when they give you the diagnosis, especially back in the day, it was, I mean, they, they treated it sort of like a death sentence. Like it was just like a, like a worst case scenario, like the worst thing that your kid could be diagnosed with. Mm. And it's not the case, you know? Um, and we've come a long way, so it's not, you know, I, I don't even think about it anymore aside from work related stuff. Cause I, I work with the autism community. And so that I think about autism all the time, but I don't see autism when I see my kids. I just see my kids, you know, if they're driving me crazy, I just see my kids drive me crazy. Like, I don't care if they're autistic or not. They're yeah. driving me nuts. Yeah. And they're, yeah. you know, it just, you know what I mean? Like just dad stuff. Yeah. Um, the challenges that you face are a little bit different and some of the obstacles are a little bit different and you have to work harder for some of the things. But I mean, they're still just kids, you know, everybody's got something weird about them, you know, whether it's got a label now or it'll have a label 10 years from now, you know. spend a little more time on mm-hmm. what you've repeated uh, three times already. You're grieving a child that you still have. Lost. Yeah. Right. Like it is. So how did you go through that grieving process? What was that grieving process like? It was, it was awful. Honestly, it was awful. 
um, I remember with him, there were, there was a lot of sort of bizarre medical things that sort of popped up in his life too. But, um, along the way for the first couple of years after he regressed, whenever he would be sick or run a fever, Mm -hmm. all of the symptoms would go away and he would be the kid that was there before all this stuff happened. And, uh, that's even tough to think about. We call it, and it's a documented thing. It's, it's something to do with, um, temperature in the brain, something I've talked to other parents who have experienced the same thing with their kid who's regressed when the kid has a fever, a lot of the symptoms that they're experiencing go away. So if they weren't talking, they start talking again, or if that's incredible. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's crazy. It's tricky. And, and it's absolute torture. It's, it's horrible <laughs> because you get these glimpses of somebody and then, you know, like I've got to give him Advil because his fever is like 104. Yeah. But then you give him the Advil and then they go away again. A- and that's, um, that's really hard because um, then you never, you never know if it's going to happen again or <laughs> you find yourself, you find it. And this is terrible, but you find yourself like, are you going to get sick again? Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Can we, just, can we just run a fever? <laughs> thank thank you. I just, thank you for going there. Yeah. Because thank you, you just for want, going there. Yeah. Cause you just want, I mean, it's the truth. And I mean, it's like, nobody wants their kids to be sick, but like you, this is such a, a unique uh, situation. It's, it's like the only way that you have contact with the person that you knew. Y- yes. You know, you know, and, and it's like, and there's nothing that you can do that replicates that effect. And after a while, it stopped happening. It doesn't ha- it hasn't happened for ten years, twelve years, something like that. And it's rough because, like, you can never fully you never fully heal that wound mm. because every time you get that glimpse, and it just sort of rips the the scab off, right, or the bandage off, and 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 it just reopens that wound because you just relived it again. And it kind of reminds me of like when my grandma was in a nursing home and I would go and I would visit her every single day mm-hmm. and every single day she would ask me why she was there. And every day I hated doing, I hated having that conversation because I was breaking her heart every day over and over and over again for months and months on end. And that's sort of what it feels like when, when you get that glimpse of your child and then that it goes away and then you don't see them again. Uh, you know, I, I struggled with it a long time. I felt so guilty because it's one of those things where like, I, I think back on all of the things that I wish I would have done differently. Had I known that this was going to happen, right? Like, um, Hmm. Like, you know, reading, like reading one more book or, uh, spending, you know, staying at the park at the playground just a little bit longer, you know, yeah. because they wanted to do that, but I wanted to get home, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think of like, I wish, I wish that I had, I wish I had done those things. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and you don't, and you don't know, there's no way to know something like that was going to happen, mm-hmm. but it, but it, it's sort of, 
it gets you into this place where you realize like, you just don't know how much time you have. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, the stuff like with him doesn't happen very often. It almost happens never, but, uh, but anything can happen, whether it's, whether it's something like this or a car accident or, you know, whatever. And it, and it just, it was something that I, I felt so guilty about for the longest time because I, I just, I felt like I, I let him down mm. and, and I, and I didn't like, I, I, I know that, but like as a dad, like we have this, this irrational guilt that we carry with us anytime we can't fix something. Right. Yeah. If, if, uh, and there's no, it doesn't matter who said, I could tell you, like, it's not your fault. You did everything you could Yep. It's in one ear and out the other, right? Like, you know, you already know that, Yep. but it doesn't change the way you feel. Absolutely. It doesn't change the way you beat yourself up on the inside. Absolutely. And, and I battled with that for a really long time. And, and the, uh, those glimpses of him coming back with, with like the fevers and stuff, it was just, it was just gut wrenching. <laughs> and and as, and as terrible as it sounds, I, I was, I was grateful when they stopped happening because mm. he didn't know any, it didn't, he's, he didn't know any difference. It wasn't really affecting him. Like mm-hmm. his experience really wasn't any, but it was, it was our experience of him. Of him. Yeah. And, and I just like, I couldn't, I couldn't take that anymore. Like it just, how many times can you say goodbye? I mean, like mm. it's what it felt like. And, and then like, I'm thinking, okay, I need to go, like, I need to get like into a support group, S- something where I'm talking to like other dads or the parents who yeah. have grieved a child. But then you start looking into that and it's, it's kid, it, you know, it's kids who have died of cancer or like, um, you know, parents who have actually buried a child. I, I'm my, my kid is still here. So what right do I have to go? there mm. you know what i mean because they would give anything to have their to, child to have their child back mm-hmm. or to get those glimpses mm-hmm. or to to see them again and then here i am <laughs> like trying to um get over feeling like i like my son had died when he's still here i mean so it's like this it's just like this I haven't thought about this stuff in a really long time. That's a really good question. Uh, and it, it, but it just, it, it is, it's indescribable. I've written about it. I, I've, I've, um, I have written about it before because I wanted to just sort of, I needed to get it out mm-hmm. uh, and not carry it with me. It was the whole point of writing was I would, I would just write whatever I was carrying with me. And that was, that would, that was me putting it down. And then I could turn around and I could walk away. So it wasn't affecting me as a parent or me as a father. Right. And some of the stuff you just, it's so hard to put down. It really is hard to put down. And I think I've never really put this down. I think I've just stopped. I've just stopped thinking about it because, because it's, it's, you know, it was, it was that. And then, um, we sort of got adjusted to that and he was doing as well as somebody can do in that situation. And then he started having these bizarre health issues where uh, he was diagnosed with epilepsy. And then he was diagnosed with this really rare autonomic disorder that his brain would just stop controlling like his blood pressure and his heart rate and his body temperature and stuff. And so it would call him autonomic crises. And so he'd be hospitalized for 
however long it would take for him to, to cycle out of it. There's nothing you can do to prevent it. There's nothing you can do to treat it. It's all like palliative care, supportive care. And uh, every time that he would have one, you know, there was a, there was a couple of times where he was, where they just like couldn't stabilize him. And, you know, they would tell us, you know, we're going to have to life flight him somewhere or, or, you know, you just need to prepare yourself that he may not come out of this one. And, you know, and that happens a dozen times or two dozen times over the years. And, and then he loses his immune system, right? So now he's got, he he does, uh, he has to do IVIG infusions twice a, twice a week where he takes donor antibodies and infuses them into himself to give him a functional immune system. And, uh, so you just sort of bounce from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And I don't know that, that I have ever quite dealt with everything. Cause there's like this backlog. Yeah. Right. And so you just keep moving forward so that you're not overwhelmed, you know, by that stuff. And, and then you have, you know, my other two kids who have done really well. Uh, but my youngest was nonverbal for the first four years of his life. We thought he was deaf, he failed all his hearing screenings and, it turned out he was just ignoring the world and started talking at like his fourth or fifth birthday. Like he'd been talking the whole time. He just absorbed everything and just decided to like turn up the volume. And, uh, you know, he had a, he had a rare fever disorder where he'd run these high grade fevers for no reason for two weeks at a time. And then he'd have like a week off and then he'd run a fever for two weeks and a week off It went on for years and years and years. And so it's just, it's just this constant, putting out fires like everywhere. So you never really come to grips or come to terms with everything in a, in a, in a healthy way. I think you come to grips with not coming to grips with it. It's probably the best way to, to look at that. What I hear from everything that you've shared, a couple of things, it's like this cycle being, being caught in this cycle of grief but you're grieving different things at different times Mm -hmm. and you might end up grieving the same thing at different points of that cycle, but you're going from grieving a to then grieving B and then we're going to jump to C, but then we might be right back to B and then we're going to get back to C and then we revisit a, and then it's just like, you never complete the full process. You never complete the full process. So it's one of those things where like uh, trying to think of a way to, kind of like a blood pressure cuff, right? Like if you squeeze the, if if you close off the valve and you squeeze the ball enough times, you know, the pressure builds up. Sure. But if you stop squeezing for a little bit, then that it loses pressure, right? And you got to start all over again. Yeah. That's sort of what it's like. You, you just, and, and then, and then they become so intertwined that you don't know, you don't know what's what, right? And, and things from, you know, dealing with one child can spill over into what you're kind of trying to deal with, with another child. And then you you factor in post-traumatic stress from being a fire medic and seeing things that you can't unsee. And then it just, you know, so truthfully, and I really, I, I never give myself enough credit. I feel like I'm, I'm doing okay. You know, which sounds kind of whatever, but like, can't really expect more than that at this point. But, you know, I mean, like my kids are good. You know, Gavin's medical issues have 
I mean, he still has to do the IVIG infusions, but the medical issues have subsided. He's not being treated for anything anymore. Uh, he has, he's never, never the same as what he was before, Sure, but he is who he is now. And he's the kindest, sweetest, most selfless person I've ever met in my life. He's 22. Mm. He is overcoming every obstacle that every doctor told us he never would. Mm. And, you know, now he's looking at uh, job training and he wants to move out and do all these things. And I thought I was never going to have an empty nest. And now I'm going to have an empty nest. <laughs> right. And I'm excited about that. And my other two, you know, um, they're going to be fine. You know, I mean, there's, there's challenges. Like we just mainstreamed for high school this year and uh, everything was going really good until it wasn't. And so now they've been home for two weeks as they're waiting to transition to the online version of their high school. Okay. And, you know, I mean, there's those kinds of things, but sure. like that's my normal. Sure. You know, I mean, I, I don't know what to do when things go right or when things go well or when things are easy. I'm like crisis management. That's my, that's my jam. I'm, I'm, I can handle a crisis. I can handle an emergency, but things going well, I don't know what to do. So when things feel peaceful, you're sort of anticipating yep. the other shoe to drop anytime now. in a major way. <laughs> anytime now. Yeah. And you know, and it was hard. It was hard to do this with, with two people and it's not two people anymore. And it mm -hmm. hasn't been for a long time. And so, you know, there's, there's never enough of me to go around mm -hmm. and you know, like my, my family is amazing. My ex-in-laws, their grandparents are amazing. Everybody helps and does, you know, what they can. They're all actively involved in the kids' lives and all that stuff. But mm -hmm. like parenting wise, I'm all, I'm all they have. Mm -hmm. And if I, I, I always, I walk this fine line between burnout and self-care. Like it's, it's, uh, you get so lost in what you're, struggle like struggling with that you forget to take care of yourself and then you know depression hits or you know you, you do burn out where you just don't even want to get out of bed but you have to because there's nobody else to take the kids to school there's nobody else to uh do the things that need to get done right because you don't have that other person to rely on and it's it's hard it's hard not to lose yourself mm -hmm. in all of this and and i think that's a pretty common I mean, my situation is a little bit unique, but there's a lot of people out there that have very challenging situations and they, they, the premise is the same. You know, you, you, you grieve the child you thought you were going to have, mm -hmm. you learn to love and accept and embrace and cherish the one that you do have. And mm -hmm. as you sort of forge this new path forward, um, you deal with depression and mental health and all that stuff that comes along with the stress of everything yeah. and living in an unforgiving world that doesn't get it and isn't designed to accommodate, you know, needs and things like that. And, uh, but you know, you just, you just keep going. Like, I, I don't know what else to do. You know, um, quitting is never an option. Like quitting for a little bit is okay. You know, like take a break, <laughs> but like can't quit, quit. You know, you yeah. gotta, you gotta find a path. You gotta find a way to get back up and you gotta keep moving. You know, like I built this business around, um, and this is gonna sound really dumb, but I, I've been, you know, I've been doing this advocacy stuff for 12 or 13 years now. And mm -hmm. I've, I built a business around it over the last couple. So like the podcast I do professionally, that's how I 
pay my bills, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, do a lot of marketing and advertising and consulting and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Business is doing really, really good, like better than it ever has. And yet I'm depressed still at times. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like I can pay my bills now most of the time. I don't know what to do. Like it's not scrambling. I, it used to be a constant struggle to like, you know, you're, you're juggling the gas bill and the electric bill and groceries and car payment, house payment, all that stuff. Now I can, you know, for the most part, I can just make those payments. Like I've never been able to do before, mm-hmm. but I don't know what to do. Like I'm 44 years old and I, all I know how to do is struggle. Hmm. I, I don't know how to thrive. And I, and I think that's one of the problems that people in my situation find themselves in is that you get so used to that struggle that you don't know what else to do. You don't know that there's other ways of living, you know, that you don't, you don't, you don't always have to struggle. I mean, there can be a, um, a reprieve at some point, but you get so comfortable in your normal yeah. that you don't, you don't see the other options a lot of times. someone like a therapist or uh, oh, yeah. regularly to kind of like help neutralize, if you will, mm-hmm. a lot of these things that you're talking about and how helpful I, is that? Well, therapy has been hugely helpful, especially after uh, when I went through my divorce, I, I needed a lot of therapy then because I was really, I was married for almost 20 years and my wife left, my ex-wife left first, she left twice. Once was in 2014 and she was gone for a couple of years mm. and then decided she wanted to come home. So we, we reconciled because mm-hmm. I thought that was the right thing to do for my kids, you know, put my family back together. Mm-hmm. And then she left again in 2019 and never came back. And, uh, you know, we got divorced officially in February of 2021 because COVID delayed it for sure. a while. But, you know, I mean, I, I saw every day how much pain my kids were in. And I can't help but like, I mean, I was not a perfect husband, not a perfect father. I'm not, not, not perfect anything, uh, but I was a good husband and, and I'm a good dad. I, I feel like I can say that I've heard it enough from people. And if I'm objectively looking at myself, I'm a, I'm a decent dad. Oh, don't, and if don't nothing don't, else. Don't, I'm still don't, here. Don't downgrade, Rob. <laughs> don't downgrade. Don't go from well, do you good know what to I mean? decent. You know what I mean? Come like on. it's, it's, I can, I can, I can. I can, I feel somewhat comfortable say, saying that. Uh, I'll give you a free upgrade back to good. Okay. Thank you. I'm a good dad. <laughs> I am. I, I am a good dad. I don't yeah. always do everything right. And I, but I learned from my mistakes for the most part. That's it. And I, and I, you know, I, my kids are loved and they're safe and they're, you know, all that stuff. Um, therapy really helped me to, to recognize that as much as I wanted to find blame in my, like I blame myself for everything. Like I must not have done this right, or I must not have done that right, or I must have done this wrong or whatever. You know, sometimes people just change 
and it, and it's not, you know, it's not anybody's fault necessarily, but you know, mental health has a factor in things. And mm-hmm. when mental health is in play, it, it, it can have, you know, it drives people to make decisions that are incompatible with marriage. And, you know, it, it, it's hard, it's hard to navigate some of that stuff without going to therapy, you know? And so I, I went to therapy for years and then my therapist just moved to uh, Georgia. So I have to actually find a new one right now. Um, but therapy, medication, uh, working out is like therapy in and of itself. Uh, the podcast has been really helpful for me, like being able to make something positive come from these things that I've struggled with, uh, by kind of helping light the path for people who are coming behind me. Yeah. That it just does something to me that, that makes me feel like I'm like, um, it would be worth it in and of itself because it's my kids, but it, there's purpose to it, right? I'm, I'm able to help my kids and I'm able to use my experience and the things that I've learned to help other people help their kids. And I think that's how I survive. You ever have thoughts of just ending it all? Have you, have you ever dealt with that at times? I know you um, just said, has, you know, you can't quit. But yeah. There, the only time that I ever really, I, I entertained the idea of suicide was when I was a fire medic and I got hurt on a call uh, and I blew out a disc and my, I have an L5S1 herniation in it. And it was supposed to, I wasn't supposed to be in pain for as long as it was, but I was in pain for like 10 years. Oh, wow. And when it was at its worst, there were times that I just wanted to drive my car into a tree just to, just to make the pain stop. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, anymore, I, I don't, I don't think I've ever, I don't know that I've ever, I mean, I've, I think everybody thinks about suicide, but you don't like embrace the idea. It's sort of like um, if you don't acknowledge that that thoughts in your head, it can grow to something much bigger than what it it is. And so have, have I thought about stuff like that? I mean, I'm sure I've thought about stuff like that, but like I'm, I'm on my, my kids that go to my parents or my siblings, their aunts and uncles, uh, which would be, I mean, they'd be good there, but like, they need me and I, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't take me away from them, you know? And like a lot of kids in this situation will need their parents for their natural life. You know, like parents will be raising their kids until the day they die. And, and then you worry about what's going to happen afterwards. Like who's going to take care of them when you're gone. Mm -hmm. And my oldest will be the only one that I have to worry about that with. But, um, you know, I mean, I didn't know where my, my, you know, how far my other kids would, would come along the way. And now they're doing really, really well and they'll be fine. They'll, you know, go to college or get a job, get married and have kids and do whatever it is they're going to do. Uh, but I enjoy watching them grow and learning from them so much so that I like, it's, uh, almost like a safety thing. Like, like it's a barrier. Like you can't, that's so important to me that I can't do anything to jeopardize being able to experience that with them. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And and it's just sort of the weird way that my brain processes all that stuff. But, um, but I mean, there's some dark days. I mean, the last couple of months, you know, I went through a breakup earlier in the late spring 
And it was like my first like long-term relationship since I was married. And, and that was rough. It was really rough. And it triggered sort of this downward slide for me where like I, I've been on this weight loss journey. I had lost like 60 pounds or something like that. And, um, I just stopped caring about myself. I stopped taking care of myself. It would mm-hmm. be like, uh, you know, uh, shave every two weeks or something like that. Like, I mm-hmm. mean, just, I worked out of the house, so I didn't have to go anywhere. And, you know, you just, you just sink into that kind of darker place. And, you know, I had to start crawling out of that, but it's just sort of a, you know, I guess, I guess I let those things happen because fighting it for me makes it worse. I, if I just embrace what I'm experiencing and then work with it, um, I, I can usually just work myself, you know, get myself to the other end without, you know, drowning. But, uh, yeah, I have no idea if this is where you thought any of this stuff was going to go. <laughs> no, <laughs> to be quite honest with you, no, but I'm so glad that we're here. Uh, because this is your real life lived experience. Yeah. And you have been more than gracious and not opening just a small crack. I mean, you have like knocked down three out of the four walls for <laughs> me and listeners to just walk into what your yeah. world is. Um, like I said in the beginning, I work in a setting where you know, parents find themselves in worst possible case scenarios with their children. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes as a support person, they feel very comfortable talking to me about things that they would otherwise not talk to family member or a spouse, even, you know, religious person, doctor, mm-hmm. whatever the case is. One thing that I hear often are parents who, once we've established their relationship, begin to ask Something to the effect of, I don't know why this is happening to me. What has been your bout with that question? Have you even asked yourself that question? I think the only time that I really was hit with that was when I was going through my divorce. Because everything else really didn't happen to me. It happened to my kids. And so there was a lot of like, why is this happening to them kind of thing. But then, but, you know, like I was, hold on. Is that, is that partly because you are your dad, you're protecting, you feel this sense of protecting them. And, and, and so it, you, it, it could be, that could totally be it. I, I'm just saying like when it, when it came the, the first time that I really remember um, looking at the situation being like, how, like, why is this happening to me was uh, when my ex left the first time because I had no, I didn't see it coming. I was completely blindsided by it and it went down in a way that traumatized the kids Mm. and like my whole world fell apart, right? I mean, she was my best friend for almost my entire adult life. Mm -hmm. And then to just sort of turn on me like that and then not just leave me, but leave the kids. And there were times that I was just drowning there's still times that I feel like I'm drowning. Sure. And it's like, why, like, why me? <laughs> why is this happening to me? Like, why do I have all of this responsibility? Why can't it just be like spread out just a little bit more evenly, you know, across the playing field? I guess, I don't know. There's just something, there's something 
about me that like, I don't, I don't get, I don't get stuck there. Okay. Really. And, and like, I, I've been hands-on with my kids since the day they were born and hands-on with Gavin since I first, like, since I first met him mm-hmm. and I've adopted him and everything else. And I just raised him as my own. I don't see him any differently than I see my other kids. Um, but I, when I was a kid, there's two things I wanted to grow up to be. One, I wanted to be an FBI profiler. That was one way I went to school for. And then I just wanted to be a dad and a husband. And, and I think a lot of that's because my parents, you know, my mom and dad have been married for 46 years now, 45, 46 years now. Okay. I'm the oldest of six kids. And so my parents have been like, I wanted what, what I thought like my parents had, which is weird. Like I wanted my own version of that. But so no matter how bad things get in some weird twisted way, I'm living Mm -hmm. the dream. (laughs) Right. Which mm-hmm. sounds so weird. Mm-hmm. But like, if my goal was to be a dad, if that's what I ultimately wanted out of life was to, to raise my own kids, I'm doing that. You are it's not easy. That. Yeah. But that's, so I don't know if that's why I, I, I see things the way that I do or, and I'm not, I don't, I don't know what you know field you're, you're in, but like with me, when I was a medic, you see, you see things that change your outlook on life. hundred percent. And you know, I've had, um, especially kids, kid calls are the, were the bad ones, right? I mean, those are the, those are the really bad ones and they give you an outlook on life that just sort of like it changes you at your core Mm -hmm. and whatever I have been through throughout my life has changed me into who I am right now, where I don't really look at things as like, Oh, why is this happening to me? It's, I feel really lucky in a sense, because like I work from home. I have been involved with my kids since the day they were born. I've witnessed almost every milestone they've ever hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get to see them do things for the first time. They teach me how they see the world in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I get to help parents. I get to talk to people like you. I get to be creative and help people and provide for my kids while I'm doing it. You know I mean? So like, I feel like all of this has happened for a reason and it's built up to this point where now everything is starting. Now all the pieces are connecting and the gears are starting to turn and all of that hard work and everything that I went through has led to this moment. And like, it's my turn, you know, it's, it's my turn to just catch a break <laughs> yeah. And, and get my kids a better life and, um, rebuild the parts of my life that were taken away or yeah. that I, that I lost. Yeah. And I think a lot of parents of autistic kids will be the same way. Like they don't look at it as like, why is this happening to me? It's, it's challenging. It's hard, but there, there is an experience that you get with these kids that just changes who you are. You, you appreciate things differently. You don't take things for granted as easily. And every little thing that happens is an accomplishment and you celebrate every one of those things. And I don't, I don't want to miss any of them, you know? So no matter how bad it gets, I always know that there's, there's somebody out there who's dealing with worse, Mm. you know? And, and I have a lot of those parents come to me, you know, I, I jump on zoom calls with parents, uh, just like, I can't fix anything, but they just want to talk. And Mm -hmm. so 
I just sit here and I listen and mm-hmm. I, and bounce ideas off of me or whatever. And it's just, you know, and, and you get, you get, you experience the fact that like, like that really sucks. Like I can't imagine what they're going through right now. And it, and you recognize that, you know, like as bad as I thought it was, it really like, it could be worse. And so I, I think I've built something that constantly reminds me that things could be worse. Mm-hmm. If, if that makes sense. And so it, it's always reinforcing that more Positive outlook, I, I guess. Yeah, just kind of looking at, determined to look at the ha- of the glass half full. Yeah, as like the baseline of yeah. And it's not always. I mean, it, there's times that it's sure. hard to do that. Sure. And you really have to like twist and contort yourself to like find something positive in the day. But you know, my oldest wasn't supposed to make it past his teens. You know, I mean, they, mm. they told us he probably wouldn't live past his teenage years and he's 22. He's going to be 23 in January. And all of his, all the stuff that, that was, uh, a threat to him is gone. You know? So, I mean, like wow. as much as he drives me crazy, he does drive me crazy. Um, he's here to drive me crazy. Yeah. And so I see it more as a, I, I always have the perspective like, you know, yeah, I'm frustrated. Yes. I'm annoyed. Yes whatever else is running through my head but like he's still here Mm -hmm. to do that Mm -hmm. and it could have very easily gone the other way Mm -hmm. I don't take that for granted Mm say at this point really um one i didn't have any preconceived notion as to where this conversation was gonna go mm-hmm. um i'm glad that it is where it is and it's gone where it's gone um this just speaks to i guess the reason why i felt the need to reach out to someone like you to be able to bring this experience to to light and to bear for People like me whose experience are entirely different from mm-hmm. from the one that you have. As we're coming down to to the hour, you are more apt to talk to fellow parents who are dealing with not just autism, but with what what someone like me and from my perspective would say when life hands you a different deck of cards. Mm-hmm. Um. Number one, two, two very quick things. Number one, does that does that bother you when when people sort of speak in a way that makes that distinction? Mm, no, I don't. Well, I don't do compliments very well. <laughs> so if if someone's saying like if they're, if they're saying it in a way that is like supposed to like build me up or something like that, like sure. I, I don't, I just don't take compliments very well. But I also don't think. I'm just like, I'm just a dad, right? I'm doing what, what any dad, in my view, what any dad would do for their kids. I mean, mm-hmm. you do anything for your kids, right? Mm-hmm. This is just what my anything is. And 
I don't think it, it, it makes me different or special or anything like that. It's just, I mean, there's a lot of dads that wouldn't do that, but there's a lot of dads that just walk away from their kids in general, even without the challenges. So I, I just, I just see myself as a, as a dad, you know, like you're a dad, I'm a dad. I got friends who are dads with, of like typical kids. And I got kids, uh, friends who are dads of autistic kids and mm-hmm. kids with uh, disabilities. And, you know, the, the, the life is a little bit different. The challenges and experiences are different, but, but being a dad is the same thing. Mm-hmm. You love your kids unconditionally, right? Sometimes you really have to stretch that yeah. <laughs> to, to get there, right? Like I, I've called my mom, I don't know how many times, because when I was a kid, they would tell me, uh, this is like one of my favorite things. If you, when, when you, I can't wait, you have a kid of your own, Rob, and then you'll know exactly how I'm feeling right now. And I have called her, I don't know how many times over the years. And I'm like, you win. You were absolutely right. I, I, I was a, I was a, whatever kind of kid, just like, just, can we just call it even? Can you just send up the signal to whoever is doing this? And, and we can just say we're good and not, you know, mess with it anymore. But, you know, I mean, just, we're just parents, you know, and I wouldn't know what to do if I were running my kids trying to juggle sports and, you know, extracurricular things. Sure. Like to me, that would be overwhelming because I have no idea. I'll bounce between doctor's appointments and therapies and whatever else. Um, like it's like, like, like it's a boss. business. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, and, yeah. and we can learn from each other, even though our situations are different because there's outlooks on life that I have that could be beneficial to you. And there are outlooks on life that you have that can give me perspective that I may have lost. And so I think these conversations are really important. I'm glad that you, um, you reached out. Uh, the question that I was going to ask you mm-hmm. first as the last question, but then I asked that other question. So now it really is the last <laughs> question. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> is you are more apt to talk to uh, fathers who are not just parenting uh, autistic children or an autistic child, but just a child who changes the dynamics of what that parent might've expected in extraordinary ways. Mm-hmm. And so now they're, they, they've, they're doing their readjustment to their, their version of normal, their new normal yeah. or their, or they might be struggling. So how have you been able to come alongside a father who is struggling to adjust to his new normal? What would be, you know, two to three things that you would say to, to a dad who is struggling to adjust in that way? I think the first thing that I, that I tell people is that especially dads, dads have this weird thing where they don't show emotion Mm -hmm. or they got to be strong for everybody else, or they can't feel something that they feel. They don't embrace that emotion. Mm. And I, and I feel like that becomes like a cancer Mm -hmm. and and it's toxic. I tell people that you're allowed to feel whatever you feel. You are allowed to be angry, resentful, sad, happy, whatever it is that, that pops into your head. You're allowed to feel that way because you're human, right? You have no control over that. Absolutely. What you do with those feelings and how you choose to deal with them is what you are directly responsible for. Yes. So there, there is none of this. You shouldn't feel guilty for resenting your child. You shouldn't feel guilty for being frustrated with your child. I mean, just because they have a disability doesn't make them any less of a kid. 
right? I mean, they, they are, they, they ha- the stuff that drives me nuts with my kids is just typical kid stuff, yeah. right? It would drive you crazy. <laughs> it would drive me crazy. I'm sure I did it to my parents and it's like a rite of passage, right? They're doing what they're supposed to do. You're allowed to be human. You can't fix everything. You know, take a breath, take care of yourself. Self-care is so important. You know, you have to put back into your physical and emotional bank accounts because, uh, it's really easy to spend yourself into bankruptcy, Mm. like emotionally, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and and physically um, to where you burn out and you're no good to anyone. So taking care of yourself is important. Allow yourself to feel what you feel and then find a constructive way of dealing with it. You know, work out or go see a therapist. Not that anybody wants to see a therapist, but go see a therapist. They're amazing. My, my therapist told me that, you know, the, the priority, the hierarchy of things is, you take care of yourself, take care of your marriage or your relationship with the other parent. Mm-hmm. And then together you take care of the kids mm-hmm. because if you're good with yourself, you're a better partner to the other parent. Mm-hmm. And if you're in a better relationship with the other parent, then you're a more united front for the kids. Yes. Right. And the kids, it's that whole like trickle down economics thing. Like the kids benefit yeah. from me taking care of myself, benefit from taking care of the other parent, and then, yep being connected and on the same page, whatever. And, and those are things that I think get lost in the shuffle. A, a lot of times we forget uh, until it's too late. Yeah, and man. I don't know if that helps, but no, th- listen, I, I'm sure someone is going to hear this and really appreciate those words uh, coming from the lips of someone who can relate to them in a more closer way than, than I could. Um, where can people subscribe to your podcast? Um, how can people get behind what you've been doing over the past decade sure. or so? Uh, I, you can just go to the autism Uh, there's links to everything there and I'm on all the podcasting apps. You can just look up the autism dad podcast and subscribe. That'd be awesome. Uh, a big thing that would help is if you share the stuff on Facebook, because I've been locked out of Facebook for like six months now. As much as I hate Facebook, you don't realize how big of an impact it has <laughs> until you can't access it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, share the stuff. If it's, if it's helpful for you, you know, there might be somebody else who can connect with it and, and it can impact their day in a positive way. So, And you can always reach out to me. I'm always happy to talk to people and uh, and help out and, and you know, anything I can to support other parents. My guy, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate this conversation. Um, I'm just letting you know this right now. There's going to be a part two and perhaps even a part three of our chat because there are some things that you said there that I definitely want to dive into a little bit deeper uh, to to gain a better understanding of what these terms mean to you and your experience. Mm -hmm. Um, So This was a great conversation. Like I have lots of conversations and this is one that I'm going to remember walking out of this i appreciate very very positive that. i really appreciate that well i, I do too I, I needed some perspective today. <laughs> so i i appreciate that